0: Hello and welcome to the May 18th, 2021 Annals of Internal Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Lane, Annals Editor-in-Chief, and I'm looking forward to letting you know about what's new in Annals in the two weeks since our last podcast. The first article to note reports an analysis of a large U.S. healthcare database that, contrary to concerns, suggests that in-hospital mortality is low in pregnant women with COVID-19. Previous reports suggested an increased risk for death in pregnant women with COVID 19 compared to non pregnant women of reproductive age. However, these studies were limited by factors such as registries with a significant proportion of missing data and biased case ascertainment. Researchers from the University of Maryland School of Medicine and the University of Texas Health Sciences Center at Houston studied data from the Premier Healthcare Database, an all player data repository that captures 20% of U.S. hospitalizations to evaluate the risk for in-hospital death among pregnant and non-pregnant women of reproductive age hospitalized with COVID-19. The cohort consisted of 1,062 pregnant and 9,815 non-pregnant women aged 15 to 45 hospitalized with COVID-19 and viral pneumonia from April to November 2020. The data showed that in-hospital death occurred in 0.8% of pregnant patients and 3.5% of non-pregnant patients. Among the subgroup of patients admitted to an intensive care unit, in-hospital mortality was 3.5% in pregnant patients and 14.9% in non-pregnant patients. Among those who received mechanical ventilation, in-hospital death occurred in 8.6% of pregnant patients and 31.4% of non-pregnant patients. Of note, pregnant patients were less likely than non-pregnant patients to have most comorbid conditions, including hypertension, chronic pulmonary disease, diabetes, and obesity. These findings demonstrate that overall and within multiple subgroups, pregnant patients had a substantially lower rate of in-hospital mortality when hospitalized with COVID-19. These findings should be reassuring to women who are pregnant or considering pregnancy during the pandemic. Next is a paper from the American College of Physicians that acknowledges the potential for methodologically sound, evidence-informed, patient-reported, outcome-based performance measures to aid in the assessment and improvement of patient-centered care, but recommends caution in how these measures are used. The ACP Performance Measurement Committee says that data are needed demonstrating that patient-reported, outcome-based performance measures improve quality of care and are an effective tool to accurately compare physician performance Additionally, patient-reported outcome-based performance measures should be based on the same rigor of evidence as any other performance measure. Challenges in developing and applying measures include the number of physician, system, and patient-related factors tied to the successful management of multiple chronic conditions. Some patient-reported outcome-based performance measures are highly dependent on patient factors such as access to care and family and community support. Studies have demonstrated limited correlation between some patient-reported outcome-based performance measure scores and individual physician performance, citing factors that are not under the influence of the individual physician. Because of these challenges, the ACP Performance Measurement Committee advises that caution is warranted before widespread adoption into ambulatory and hospital-based internal medicine until patient-reported outcome-based performance measures are developed in a rigorous manner and physicians can seamlessly integrate patient-reported data collection into practice. The committee concludes that in their current state, these measures are not optimal for improving patient outcomes. Developers and payers should adopt a rigorous method for assessing the validity of patient-reported outcome-based performance measures before including them in quality and reimbursement programs. The tremendous increase in hospitalizations that has occurred during surges in the COVID-19 pandemic have stressed the healthcare system and sparked interest in alternative models of care, such as home-based hospital-level care, to address resource demands. Early in the pandemic, a large integrated health system implemented a hospital-at-home program to deliver home-based hospital-level care to patients with COVID-19 and increase the health system's bed capacity. Researchers from Atrium Health studied 391 adults who met evidence-informed inclusion criteria and received treatment for COVID-19 in their hospital-at-home program between March and November 2020 to determine which hospital-at-home patients were at increased risk for care escalation to traditional brick-and-mortar facilities. The researchers found that most patients did not require care escalation, with approximately one in five admitted within 14 days. More severe respiratory involvement was observed among transferred patients, particularly those requiring immediate care escalation. In addition, overall comorbidity burden was associated with transfer. The researchers expressed surprise that they did not observe independent associations between older age or obesity and transfer and speculate that this could be due to physician hesitation to enroll such patients with additional risk factors into the program. This study provides practical initial evidence to help inform the development of hospital at home programs and patient eligibility for such care. Next is a large cohort study that found that despite their impaired immunity, the vast majority of patients receiving dialysis maintained SARS-CoV-2 antibody levels six months after infection. Although the researchers observed a slow continual decline in median antibody levels over time, they found no indication that subgroups with impaired immunity had a shorter-lived humoral response compared with a healthy population. Patients receiving dialysis have an impaired immune system and, therefore, are among the most susceptible to SARS-CoV-2 infection. These are broadly representative of groups most affected by the pandemic, such as older people and those of minority racial ethnic backgrounds. Therefore, it is important to understand the immune response. Researchers from Stanford University studied 2,215 patients from a nationwide sample of dialysis facilities to evaluate the persistence of SARS-CoV-2 receptor-binding domain, IgG, and seroprevalent patients. All of the patients were undergoing dialysis and had evidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection on or before July 2020. Labs were taken once a month for six months to test for antibodies. The researchers found that 93% of patients reached or maintained an assay-detectable response. 60% of patients studied had an immune response classified as high, and 76% of these remained with high immune response over the entire study period. They also found that older persons or persons with diabetes versus people without diabetes did not experience faster decline in the antibody titers. According to the authors, these results are important because studying immune response over time in dialysis patients can serve as a benchmark for clinicians evaluating response to vaccination in this and other vulnerable patient populations. Depression is the topic of the May in the Clinic review. Go to annals.org for a concise, practical update of the diagnosis and management of this common condition. Given the increase in mental health issues in the context of the pandemic, Now is a very good time to make sure your knowledge of depression care is current. Next is a History of Medicine article that examines how, in the 1930s and 40s, the medical profession reacted with hostility and erected formidable barriers to refugee physicians from Nazi-dominated Europe who sought to practice medicine in the United States. Yet refugee physicians ultimately succeeded, with 77% working as doctors by 1945 and 98.6% by 1947. The authors provide evidence that refugee physicians' success was in large part attributed to courageous physician leaders who lobbied on their behalf and to the creation of the National Committee for the Resettlement of Foreign Physicians, an organization that helped immigrant physicians pass licensing exams, identify locations for employment, and overcome barriers to integration into American society. Also new is an on being doctor essay in which the author honors her medical school cadaver. She writes, quote, because of all the time my team and I had spent with him and learning from him, I felt very connected to him. I thought that somehow he was aware of the great posthumous sacrifice he had made for us, of the immense gifts he had given me, not just anatomical knowledge and the tender beginnings of surgical skill, but teamwork, patience, humility, perseverance, confidence, and above all else, respect for the patient. I would be a better doctor because of our experience together, End quote. There are also several new ad libitum poems, and May 18th brings the latest Annals for Hospitalist feature. In addition to key points from articles relevant to hospital medicine physicians, there is a commentary on the management of methicillin-resistant Staph aureus in hospitalized patients. And last but not least are the latest episodes of Annals Consult Guys and the Annals on Call podcast. Watch the Consult Guys to quickly learn everything you need to know to make the correct diagnosis next time you encounter a patient with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And the latest Annals on Call podcast is all about using the right antibiotic for the right infection for the right duration. That brings us to the end of this podcast. I hope you'll go to annals.org to take a look at some of the new material I've mentioned and browse some older articles that you may have missed. Stay well, and please return in two weeks for the next Annals podcast. Thanks to Beth Jenkinson and Andrew Langman for their technical support.